0: Hello and welcome to Journey Church, North County. We appreciate you joining us through this podcast. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at journeynorthcounty.org. Thank you once again for joining us and enjoy the message. Good morning. Uh, We are starting a new series today, but we wanted to do something before we started this new series. Uh, So wherever they are at, Chris and Casey, there you are you guys come up real quick, please? Be careful on the step as you come up. All right. So this is Chris and Casey. Most of you know them, but if you don't know them, uh, they have been with us for a long time. They've been with us since... uh, Easter of last year, I think, right? Yeah, so Easter of last year, which is coincidentally our very first service. So they've been with us since our first service uh, last year. And uh, we are really sad because they're getting ready to move. And uh, they are going to uh, the great state of Idaho, where there's a lot of potatoes and other stuff, I'm sure. So uh, we are really sad about them going, but we're so grateful that they were here with us they helped us start the church they've done uh, so much with us since the beginning. Uh, Chris is part of our nationally ranked softball team locally and uh, we're just uh, yeah just super grateful for them. Uh, we know that Journey church doesn't happen without you guys without without those who are willing to kind of dig in and every week. Uh, make this thing happen, and Chris and Casey have been part of that since the beginning. So, here's what we want to do, is, is people don't just leave, uh, we send them out, and we pray for them. And so, uh, we just want to take a, a moment this morning, and thank you guys, first of all, for everything you've done and been a part of here, and uh, as a church, collectively, pray for them. So, let's do that right now. God, we are, uh, we are so thankful for the Felt family and and what they've meant to our family, uh, our family, the Wallace family in general, but also our larger church family at Journey Church as well. Uh, we are so thankful for the way that they serve and the way that they're uh, part of our ministries and they've been part of our church. Uh, God, we're we're sad to see them go, but we know that you have big plans for them, that they get to go in and be with family, and that's something that... That, uh, they've been working on, and, and uh, it's a happy time for them. So uh, we just want to send them out with with love, and and just say that we're very supportive of them, and just very thankful for them being a part of Journey Church, and that we know that in Idaho they're going to be part of a a great church there as well. And so we're we're looking forward to that. So God, thank you once again just for the time we've gotten to spend with them, and it's not goodbye. So we're gonna we're gonna see them at some point again, and we're looking forward to that. So. Uh, God, we're just thankful for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Um, And also, if you leave Journey Church, which no one else is allowed to do, um, if you leave Journey Church, you get cake, right? I think maybe when people join church, they should get cake, so people don't leave and get cake. But anyway, there will be cake in the lobby uh, after the service. So uh, we're going to just kind of hang out with them in the lobby after the service. And uh, so make sure you say hey to them and go get some cake right afterwards. We're in a series, uh, brand new series. We're going to run through this for six weeks. We're going to cover maybe the most important book in the entire Bible, which is kind of hard to say because there are a lot of important books. And especially because this one is not one of the books that we consider the gospels which is where Jesus is we're walking alongside him in his life it's not one of those books it's it's the book of Romans but the book of Romans is probably the most influential book to my faith to your faith I want to start out this way there's there's a boy this boy was 5 years old and he decided that one day He was going to be the number one draft pick in the NBA. He was going to get picked number one. Now, this is a big deal, because if you get picked number one, you, one, get a massive payday, but you're going to the NBA, and you were supposedly better than everyone else who's trying to do it that year. At five years old, he decided, I'm going to the NBA. I'm going to be the very first draft pick. So his mom said, okay, if we're going to do that, then we've got to get you started now. And so at five years old, he played on an AAU team. AAU teams are are kind of like hyped-up basketball teams. They play during the summer around the other teams playing. And uh, it's where some of the best players end up playing is AAU. And so he joined an AAU team for nine-year-olds at five. Then he got a little bit older, and by the time he was nine years old, he woke up every morning at 5 a.m., to practice, to shoot shots, to work on drills, to make sure that he was going to do everything possible to be the number one pick in the NBA draft. So he kept working on this. Eventually he got to middle school and he became a better and better player. His mom became the boys' middle school coach. So his mom coached him all through middle school. He's known for saying that his mom in middle school was the toughest coach he ever had. And that's difficult to say because he probably had the best college coach currently. But his mom was the toughest coach he ever had in middle school. His talent got better. He worked harder. He got better and better all the way up until this past Thursday, the 2019 NBA draft. And Zion Williamson was drafted number one His dream since he was five years old in the draft. His name was called, and and if you follow basketball at all, you knew that his name was going to be called. He was uh, supposed to be the number one draft for months now. So he knew that his name was going to be called first, but there's something about hearing your name called. And so he finally heard, with the first pick in the NBA draft, the New Orleans Pelicans select Zion Williamson. He heard his name called. And he started to cry. His mom, who was with him at five years old, when he said, Mom, I want to be the number one pick in the NBA draft, was right there next to him. And she began to cry. It was everything they had worked so hard for. In fact, right after they get him on stage and off stage again, they brought him in for a, a post-interview. And they said, Hey, what, you, what does this mean to you? Like, What does it feel like to be the number one pick in the NBA draft? And he said, I just remember being five years old and thinking, I'm going to do it. And I remember every morning that I woke up early before everyone else and I got ready and, and I was shooting shots and I was trying to be the best. And I remember those times. And, and now he's this young kid, number one pick in the NBA draft. He only played one year in college. And everything he worked for his whole life was right in front of him. That happened this past Thursday. I'll tell you that story because there's another boy, he was in the Bible, and he kind of went along a similar path. This boy's name was Saul, and Saul, he wanted to be the best. He wanted to be well-known. He wanted to be well-liked. And so from a young age, his parents had some influence, and he got into the very best schools. In fact, uh, this boy, Saul, in the Bible, he ended up training under uh, a guy named Gamaliel. And Gamaliel at the time, we still talk about him today in the Bible because he was the, the most famous Jewish teacher of the time. If you were going to study under anybody, it was going to be this guy named Gamaliel. And he was the guy that you wanted to learn from, the guy that you wanted to study under, but not many people got to do it. And so Saul worked really hard and he got to study underneath Gamaliel. He got older and older and wiser and wiser. He Learned three different languages. He learned Greek. He learned Aramaic. He learned Latin. And he got older to the point where he started to get influence of his own. And he knew that he wanted to rise up in the ranks. He wanted to be at the top of what they called the Septuagint. He wanted to be the best. And so he found a way to do that. There was, at this time, in the area that he was growing up, there was this thing that was rising up. It was called the way. Now, we don't call it the way today. We call it this term called Christians, but they didn't call it Christians then. They just called it the way. There was this guy who came along. His name was Jesus. And Jesus was the leader of the way. But here's the thing. People hated the way. In their Old Testament books, they, they had these writings that said there's going to be a Messiah that's going to come, and, and Jesus came, and he died, and he rose again, but people didn't believe that really happened. They denied that it happened, and they denied the many miracles that he did, and they didn't want to be a follower of this new thing, the way. In fact, their old ways, their Jewish customs gave them power and prestige, and they were able to be ahead of everyone else. They would lord over people underneath them. That's what Saul wanted to do. He wanted to be the top. He wanted to be the best. He studied under the very best, Gamaliel. He found out the best way to do this was to persecute people who were following this sect, the, the way. And so, in fact, there's a, there's a guy in the Bible. His name is Stephen. You may have heard of Stephen. Saul was watching over Stephen as he was getting stoned. They were literally stoning Stephen, and Saul's the one looking over and presiding over this whole thing. He realized that if he was the one that could get rid of this way, get rid of this new movement, get them out of here for it to be over and done, if he's the one that could get rid of them, he would become the most powerful. Because it was a a thorn in their side. They wanted it done. And Saul was the guy to do it. So he presided over the stoning of Stephen and saw many other people that were now in the way killed. People in the way were terrified of this guy. There's one day where this guy saw is walking on a road. It's called the Damascus Road, and he's walking along the road, and he gets blinded by this super bright light. You know, it's kind of like when you're here in the theater, and it's kind of dark, and you go and walk outside, and the sun hits you in the eyes, and you can't see anything. It was like that, but much worse. In fact, it was so bright that it literally blinded him, and so now this guy, Saul, who is his leader, is blind, and he hears this voice, and the voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me, which is kind of what Morgan Freeman sounds like. Morgan Freeman's always God, right? So um, I don't know, I I have no idea what it sounded like, but maybe like that. And so Saul hears this voice, it kind of sounds like Morgan Freeman, that says, why are you persecuting me? And he realizes, or starts to realize, that this group, this way, this sect, everything that they've been persecuting, wait a minute, that guy is really God. He's God. He's the Savior they were talking about in the Old Testament, the Messiah that was supposed to come. That's actually Jesus. Jesus. Now, imagine your whole life you'd have been training and working for this one idea. You're going to be the leader of the leaders. You're going to be the highest guy in Judaism. And he worked so hard to get that. And all of a sudden, in one moment, your whole life gets flipped upside down. Everything you thought was true is not true anymore. In fact, the very people that you've been killing – Are now the people that you want to be a part of. That was the start of the real journey for a guy named Paul. Paul, his name gets changed from Saul to Paul, and he ends up writing 13 of the books that we have in the New Testament. Some of the most influential things you'll ever read in the Bible, this guy wrote. But he was also the guy who was trying to kill them before. And so it doesn't happen all immediately. He, he gets blinded by this lie on the Damascus Road. And he's told to go to the house of a guy named Ananias. Now, Ananias was one of these weird followers of the way. And so God told Ananias, hey, you're going to accept this guy in. You're going to let him come in. And Ananias was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me that I have to bring in the guy who's trying to kill me? And God's like, it's all good. Don't worry about it. So Paul goes to Ananias' house, and he gets accepted for the first time. Now, it doesn't all happen immediately. For three years, Paul's got to work out this in his life. He's got to work out what this really means. He was going one way. He was 100% full on one direction, and it got completely shifted and completely changed in one instant. So it takes him three years to kind of work out exactly what's happened here. But after that three years, he goes and finds a local church, a church that is following this guy named Jesus. And when he goes to this local church, he has no idea what's going to happen. And they accept him. And he realizes maybe for the first time that he is never going to be worthy enough. In fact, he's the worst of the worst. He's the guy who used to kill these people. And these same people brought him in and accepted him. He realized in that moment that it's never going to be about what he can do, but what God does through people. 2000 years later, we sit in a church building talking about this guy named Jesus, and it all goes back to that moment. Because we we call this place Journey Church, because we said that no matter where you are on your journey, we'll meet you there. But we can only say that because Paul figured that out 2,000 years ago. In that moment, he realized that a church accepted him, a murderer, a person that killed people that they knew accepted him. And it was never gonna be about him ever again. So we're gonna talk about Mastermind. We call the series Mastermind because we we said that if you read the book of Romans, It has kind of a theme that if you change the way you think, you'll change your life. Your life will be completely different. And so you have to kind of work through the book of Romans because it's exciting, enlightening, and incredibly challenging. It's hard to get through, not because it's hard to read, but because it really messes with our lives. It messes with our hearts. Because everything that we're doing to try to be first, it's going to flip it on its head and say, you got to be last to be first. And that's hard to do sometimes. So Romans goes, talks about this city of Rome. We know a little bit about ancient Rome. But Rome was the center of everything, arts, culture, government. In fact, at the time, at this time that Paul's living in, in the center of Rome, in 10 square miles, there were over a million people that occupied this town square right in the middle. It's flooded, it's crowded, but everybody wants to go to Rome. In fact, there was a saying back then that all roads lead to Rome. That means everything that happens, every change, every big thing that happens politically or culturally goes through Rome. Everyone wanted to be there. And if there's one book that helps us to understand who we are as a follower of Jesus, it's this book of Romans. So Paul said this actually in 1 Corinthians 15.9. He said, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He realizes early on that, that he gets accepted in by the church and he becomes like the OG church planner. He's the original guy that goes out and starts starting churches. So by the time he writes this book of Romans, he's already started a bunch of churches and he's gone through two missionary journeys fishing up a third and uh, that's when he writes this book of Romans. And so he says, I am the least of these. I do not even deserve to be called an apostle. It's a complete flip. His whole life he worked to be the best, to be the highest. And now he says, I'm not even worthy to be with these guys. So we're going to jump into Romans, Romans 1.16. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So the Jewish people were God's chosen people. So if you read through the Old Testament, you're reading over and over again. It's basically how the Jewish people interacted with their God, how God responded back to the Jewish people. You'll see that over and over again. It's a theme. They run away from God, they come back to God. They run away from God, they come back to God. They get punished, they come back to God. It happens over and over and over again. So the gospel was first to the Jewish people through the Old Testament, then to the Gentiles. Who are Gentiles? You. You are a Gentile. You probably didn't know that coming in. So if you're not Jewish, you are Gentile, okay? So it's a pretty big group of people, um, but that's you. You're Gentile. So first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. But here's the biggest part of this verse, is that Paul's saying, you can't save yourself. There's nothing you can do to save yourself, we hear people all the time say, hey, I can never go to church because I'm not worthy to go to church. Like, or maybe people are hypocritical in church. And I get that. But the truth is, no one's worthy. No one's good enough. You can't save yourself. It's not a point system where I have more points than you because I've been better than you have been or you've been better than I've been. No one can save themselves. Salvation comes through one person. And that's Jesus. And so along the way, we're just told that we have to accept this free gift of salvation. Throughout the book of Romans, Paul says two things. Grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace. In fact, he starts out the book of Romans saying grace and peace. Here's what you need to know, especially if you feel like your life is a little chaotic right now. Is that grace leads to peace in your life. That grace leads to peace. Once you understand that you will never be good enough, all of a sudden you'll have peace that passes your own understanding. You'll never be good enough. You'll never do enough nice things, enough good things, enough better things than the person next to you. You'll never do enough good things. But God's done them for, his righteousness covers all of our messed up stuff. All the junk you brought in this morning, all the reasons why you think you're either not good enough or maybe too good for church, none of it matters. It matters. Because none of us are good enough. Here's the news is, is that no pastor speaking right now on Sunday mornings is good enough. No person that served the church their whole life is good enough. No one is. There's a movie, I no, not know, sorry, not a movie, it's a show. Maybe you've seen it. It's called The Good Place. Um, I've seen like every, almost every episode of this show because it's actually pretty entertaining. But it's called The Good Place. And this show, The Good Place, is all about... These people who lived their life and they died, and based on merit, they either went to what they called the good place or heaven, the good place, and so if they did enough good things in their life, they went to the good place, and if you didn't do enough good things in your life, you went to the bad place, right? So, you know, the parallel of heaven and hell. So it walks through the stories of these people and they make it to the good place and, you know, why they made it there, all that stuff. But here's the deal, and here's what Paul's trying to say throughout the book of Romans: There's no point system. You could be good your entire life. You could work for volunteer organizations. You could serve people, and it'll never be good enough. Consequently, you could be a murderer like Paul, and it'll never be bad enough. That salvation doesn't depend on you. You can't save yourself. Romans one twenty to 21 says this. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his internal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understand from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they know God, they never glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and foolish hearts were darkened. So here's what happened is Paul saying, listen, what about people who just don't understand? Who don't know? And He's saying, "Look around, the complexity of our eyes, the complexity of nature, and the fact that tomorrow you don't spin off this spinning thing called a, the Earth, called the globe. Right? You don't just spin off of it because of gravity. It's all so intricate and complex. When you look around the world, you can't help but to see a creator. And so Paul's saying here, listen, we're without excuse." The world screams God. And we can't be saved by ourselves. We have to be saved by him. Romans 3.10. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. It's, it's maybe the, the greatest verse in all of Romans. It's super simple. There's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one good enough. You can never do it on your own. You'll never be okay by yourself. I don't know about you, but that gives me so much peace and comfort <laughs> because I, I'm the type that likes to make it right, right? Maybe you're, you're similar to that. Like if, if someone has a problem with me or if I'm arguing with my wife or my son's driving me nuts or someone brings up a complaint to me, I just want to make it right as quick as possible. And so I feel like that in my life too, like when I really mess up, whether it's financially or in my relationships, I want to I make it right. I want to fix it but there's no one righteous. There's not a single person. Not the greatest person who's ever lived. Solomon was in the Bible and he's counted as the wisest person who ever lived and he wasn't righteous. There's none righteous, no, not one. But here's what happens. Is on a cross, Jesus died. And when that happened, his righteousness covered everything. So much so that when God the Father was Looking down, he had to turn his back on his only son because he couldn't look at the sin that was put on the cross that day. But the righteousness of Jesus covers everything you've done. Whatever guilt you're carrying right now, whatever you have on your shoulders, whatever's really messing you up, whatever you feel like you're never gonna be good enough, God's already died for that. The things that you're gonna to do today and tomorrow God's already died for that. You're never good enough, and you're never bad enough. His righteousness will always cover that. At the core of Christianity, it's not something big that we do for God. I struggle with this sometimes. I always kind of want to do these big things for God, and I feel like my life will count more if I do it. If I can do these big things for God, whatever it is, whatever the next thing is, I want to do it, and I feel like my life will mean something, will count for something. The core of of what faith and what Christianity is, it's not about doing something big for God. It's that God's already done something big for you. He's done it. It's done. You don't have to carry the guilt. You don't have to carry the weight. The whole book of Romans is, is about one concept. It's this concept of grace. Now, grace isn't free. And at one point, it says, should I just... Uh, keep sinning so that grace can just abound in my life? And he's like, no, that's not how this works. But grace will always cover a multitude of all of our sins so that we don't have to carry the guilt and the shame every day. Romans 3.20 says, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Paul wrote this. You have to understand how big this is that he wrote this. His whole life was about the law. The more laws you obey, the more you tell other people how to obey those laws, the higher up he becomes. And then he writes this, that no one's righteous by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. You can't do enough good things, in other words, to be righteous. But what happens is the laws and the things that we follow, they make us conscious of the things that we do wrong. They make us conscious of our sin. So we don't have to keep doing those things over and over again. The verse you may have heard before is Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone, all people. Uh, You you probably know about Adam and Eve, and they they were in the garden. Um, Eve was hungry. She ate an apple. She wasn't supposed to. They were kicked out of the garden. Adam also took a bite. They got kicked out of the garden, and ever since then, we've been sinful people. We just sin. But the Romans 3:26 says, For all sin and fallen short of the glory of God. You'll never be able to save yourself. But here's the good news: is that we follow Jesus. From the beginning of this whole thing called the way, and, and they were Jesus followers before they were called Christians, they were, they were first called Christians a couple hundred years later. Before all that, Jesus came, died on a cross, and said, okay, you don't have to bear guilt and shame anymore. But somehow, we, we still do that 2,000 years later. We still bear guilt and shame for all the things that we've done. And here's the hard part for me. Maybe it's hard for you, too. Is that no one's righteous, no, not one. It means you're not righteous, and I'm not righteous. And everyone is deserving of death, but instead we can get salvation. Even those people who have wronged you. I gotta be honest, there's, there's a couple people in my life who I feel did some pretty rough things to me that I didn't deserve. Maybe you have some people in your life like that too. And the hard part is you're deserving of the same stuff that they're deserving of. None of us is good. None of us is righteous as much as they hurt you and you probably want to hurt them back, that God has made us all righteous for those who believe in him, all of us. That's hard for me sometimes. There's a lady named Beth Moore and uh, she's a a Christian speaker and and she said this. Jesus is so forgiving that will annoy us sometimes. We want him to hold a grudge against the same people we do, he won't. Don't you just want that? Don't you just want like, like, okay, God, you just take care of them. But God loves them like He loves you. It's easy sometimes to like point out the people that have wronged us and ignore the, the ways that we wrong other people. And God has forgiven them like He can forgive you. He's a good and loving God. Even when we don't understand it, and even when it sucks, (laughs) even when we don't want him to be loving and forgiving to other people, he is. Because you're not righteous and I'm not either. If, If there was anybody that should have gotten the wrath of God placed on him, it was this guy, this boy named Saul who grew up and became Paul. This guy was literally killing, he was a terrorist. He was literally going through and killing all these followers of the way, all these Jesus followers, all these Christians. There's no one that should have been more in trouble, more deserving of the wrath of God than Paul. And his life gets changed. He starts following Jesus, and he ends up writing books that we still read and use today to understand who Jesus is. See, It doesn't matter what you came in here with. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what you're carrying on your shoulders. It doesn't matter the weights that you carry right now. Jesus loves you. And he'll forgive you. He's forgiven worse. And one of the most incredible things about Paul's story is that he didn't just get forgiven. God used Paul for incredible things, not just that, okay, now you're back to zero, but now that, now that you're a follower of mine, I'm going to use you in incredible ways. He turns Paul's history into his story, into the story of Jesus and what he can do through somebody when they're changed. So here's the deal. Here's what we'll leave with. If you're in the room this morning, and I got to tell you, I've I've done some pretty messed up things. Some people have done some messed up things to me. In fact, I think we'd, it'd probably be hard and we'd probably be embarrassed if we just sat around in a room and said, hey, what was your worst thing? Uh, but no one's righteous, no, not one. No amount of good works will add up to being righteous. No amount of bad works means that you can never come back. Jesus loves you. His righteousness covers your sin. You don't have to carry the weight anymore. Whatever you're holding, you don't have to carry. But here's what that means when you follow Jesus. You've got to give that to other people too. You've got to let people be forgiven. Because there's probably people in your life who've done some pretty rough things to you. But we've been sinning our whole life. We put Jesus on a cross. He didn't deserve that. In fact, he's hanging on a cross and he says, Father, please forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. So because the righteousness of Jesus covers us, we've got to extend that to other people as well. So here's what we want to do is we're just gonna we're gonna play a song right now, but um Caleb's just going to strum in the background for about a minute first. If there's anybody in your life that, that you just feel like, I've just been holding on to this, and I need to forgive, maybe it's time you, today's the day that you can do that. You're not worthy, I'm not worthy, they're not worthy. We're all in the same boat. But Jesus' righteousness covers that stuff, even when it's hard. So just take the next 60 seconds as we're just kind of playing in the background and just ask God, God, is there anybody that I just need to release from this that I need to forgive in my life? And maybe for you, maybe it's yourself. Maybe you need to forgive yourself for the the stuff that you've done, for the stuff that you've messed up. Jesus' righteousness covers you too. And so you just need to take a minute to do that. If, uh, if you've never decided to follow Jesus, that's the biggest decision that you can ever make in your life because you're not meant to carry around guilt and shame your whole life. And Jesus is the only one that can save you. There's no one else. There's nothing else. There's no one else to run to. There's no person in this world that can save you. So if that's you this morning, would you just spend the like, 60 seconds just praying, God, will you just forgive me? And he will. Will you heal my heart? And he'll do that too. Take the next 60 seconds and talk to God. Thank you for enjoying the message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at journeynorthcounty.org. Thank you once again for being part of our family, and we'll see you next time.